0: Hi everyone, welcome to my brand new podcast, Master of None. I am Dhinakaran and I have been working in the IT industry for over a decade now. Through this podcast, I would like to provide a running commentary on the emerging and new trends in the tech industry, focusing predominantly on the intersection of cloud, programming, architecture, DevOps, machine learning and security. I hope you find these topics discussed in the podcast interesting. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. In this podcast episode on Master of None, uh, we'll demystify OAuth and OpenID Connect. So we have been building uh, applications uh, and uh, authentication and authorization are an integral aspect of it. Uh, Any application that we build, it is the most critical component that is uh, uh, widely implemented and uh, Over a period of time, uh, you know, there are uh, various uh, uh, situations wherein a lot of, uh, you know, authentication related uh, aspect of it that needs to be taken care. And uh, these days we have the identity providers, which we call as IDP, uh, who kind of provide a lot of features in terms of, you know, user management, creation of users, managing the users and providing access, right. But the identity, the concept of an identity provider and offering them as a service is something that has come very new and the very common patterns that we normally follow are uh, like, you know, the OAuth pattern, right? Uh, So in this particular podcast, we'll probably discuss about, you know, what, uh, you know, the history of authentication in terms of, you know, how things were before and, you know, uh, how things progressed over a period of time. Uh, so, just to uh, jog down the memory lane, right, so the very f- basic kind of authentication that we had earlier was, you know, the very basic authentication in terms of providing the username and password, right. So you know, you just have a web form or you probably have a you know web service based on SOAP, you kind of given the username and password and you get the authentication done. And it is mostly uh, uh, like, you know, the authentication is done, uh, you know, by like, you know, checking in the database and, uh, you know, you get some kind of session token in the form of cookie, etc. With which we kind of, you know, started the thing, right. So this was very early in 2000, right. And uh, after that, what essentially happened is that we had some, you know, OS based thing, like, you know, we haven't Windows authentication, uh, like, you know, wherein if you have logged into a, a particular company's intranet, then you are actually supposed to get access to other apps that are built within the same network, right? So typically the uh, single sign-on uh, is one uh, like an aspect of it that was uh, becoming very popular. This is again not at the consumer facing side, but it is more on the enterprise side, right? So once you get access to a particular enterprise, then you will also need a lot of uh, like, you know, access to their other applications, right? So that is when the uh, concept of SSO became uh, popular and what essentially happened is that for that SAML is as a protocol was actually you know widely used right so SAML essentially what happens there is that you know we have a, a certain pattern in place and whenever a certain authentication has to happen uh, you know we provide the uh, like you know we get the single sign-on done and using a concept of SAML assertion right so the SAML assertion is basically like you know we kind uh, the the authentication is actually done by the actual identity provider, and then we get the SAML assertion, which is essentially an XML, right? So that was, JSON was not very popular during that time. So SAML assertion is the like you know security markup language, right? That's what SAML is all about, right? So that was uh, the uh, concept that was widely followed, there, right? And it was more on the enterprise level and SSO was the, like, you know, was mostly construed in that particular way, right. After that is when, you know, we have this explosion of, you know, web applications that are consumer facing, right. And uh, it is not about, uh, you know, used only in the enterprise, right. So there's an explosion of, you know, mobile apps and, uh, you know, a lot of apps were also being built by uh, everybody, right and that is when uh, we started having this uh, problems of you know having to register in every site uh, like you know with our credentials like username and password and getting registered in every site is going to be really painful and uh, not a very good user experience and that's when you know the concept of oauth uh, like you know getting author, like you know not registering in every site as an idea that is came into picture right and uh, it was actually helping us to do it not just for the websites, but also for the mobile apps that we're going to build, right? Now, so this is how the journey started. So we we'll look at, you know, how things went with OAuth. Next. So, now coming to OAuth. So one aspect that we need to be really clear is uh, OAuth is not a, a you know, authentication uh, framework. It is more as a, you know, it works more as an authorization framework, right? So the main idea as I discussed earlier is that in every website you need to go and register your username and password and that became a pain and that's when the idea of uh, like you know having registered in one site and uh, using those credentials and uh, passing your uh, like you know authentication or validation saying that I am so and so and then passing it to another application right so that's the whole uh, oauth flow uh, came into picture right so we had two versions of the protocol and the most one commonly that is used now is oauth 2 right so essentially what happens is that when you are registering in a uh, like you know in a new application you probably use your already available authentication schemes like facebook login or google login or you know linkedin login or github or whatever it is right so that is how the or like, you know, authentication, uh, like, you know, authorization happens, right, so you do not need to register again, but you probably register or sign in with the, uh, you know, existing uh, social identity providers, right. So that is how, uh, you know, OAuth is all about, it is basically uh, like it is not a protocol per se, but it is just a specification, right. Now. Uh, like you know this is how it is right so basically you don't register in every site but reuse the uh, social login features right so that's how OAuth as a system works right and so who are the main like you know uh, yeah, what are the main elements that we can like you know think about in terms of the terminology side right? or what the specification uh, like you know talks about right so uh, the whole idea is that uh, like the resource owner Right. So any person who is wanting to register into a site or log into the site, right? So he is called as the uh, like you know resource owner. Right. So now when you register via your mobile app or your web app web application, so you are basically the resource owner, right? And the client, the term client, what it means is that the actual application in which we are actually you know registering or logging, right? So for example. As a new feature app that is developed and you want to register that right so client is basically uh, the uh, like you know medium via which we kind of you know log in and then you know kind of access those applications right? so that's basically the actual client right so the client it could be a web browser or it could be a mobile app right but at the end of the day it's basically for that application that we have right now authorization server right so authorization server is the actual server who is actually authorizing you? Whether you are a valid user or not by getting your credentials, right? So these are the authorization. Is typically the OAuth providers, maybe Facebook or you know Google, right? Now resource server, right? So what is a resource server? So resource server is the actual, uh, like you know, server that needs our authentication. So basically, the new application, uh, probably will have a backend, uh, you know, API calls that needs to be done. And uh, this uh, particular API call needs to validate whether we are a proper user or not, right? So this resource server is going to probably use the, uh, like, you know, uh, OAuth authorization mechanism, and then, you know, get it. And the final part is basically the tokens, right? So once the authentication is done successfully, then we will be provided with a token, right? So there could be, you know, in a typical OAuth flow, there could be two types of token. It could be, like you know, an uh, access token, and the other one could be a refresh token, right. So, these are two tokens that are normally provided, and you will be able to use that to uh, authenticate itself, uh, yourself uh, to the new application that is registering, wherein they may have, you know, backend API calls, right. So this is the these are the main, uh, like you know, elements that we have in a uh, typical uh, OAuth flow, you have the resource owner, uh, that is basically the user. Then we have the client which is the web browser or the uh, like you know uh, app client then you have the authorization server which is basically the OAuth uh, like you know provider who will can confirm whether you are the right user or not then we have the uh, resource server uh, like you know who is going to actually use the token to uh, authorize you and then you know provide you the actual details and then finally you have the tokens right so these are the main Uh, like, you know, actors or, you know, elements that we have in a typical OAuth system. Now, to understand OAuth better, uh, we could probably, you know, try to relate loosely uh, with a real world example, right. So this was one example that was referred by, uh, you know, one of the, uh, like, you know, proper blogs from Okta. So they are its identity provider, right. So uh, think of, uh, like, you know, checking into a hotel, right, so that is a good use case. So, wherein the guest who wants to, you know, st- uh, stay on the uh, hotel, so they are the resource owner, right? So the guest wants to, like, you know, kind of, you know, uh, stay in the hotel. So he's basically the resource owner, and the client is basically the actual hotel. Uh, like, you know, wherein we are going to stay there, and uh, so typically authorization server, right? So, who, who are your authorization server? If you go there, the first thing that you do in a hotel is uh, you go to the reception. And you kind of show your details and get yourself saying that, you know, you have confirmed that you are the required user, right? So depending on like, you know, your booking, registration, etc., they will validate you, right? So that's basically the authorization is the server is, you know, in a, in a way can call it as a hotel reception. So they are the ones going to check your, you know, your, uh, confirm whether who you are and probably look at validation, etc., right? And once they have val- validated you, then they provide you, uh, like, you know a room key or a room like these days we also get smart cards right so those are also the, the we can consider as a tokens right because it is with this key that you will be able to go and open that room right and even when you uh, want to use this key it is to a specific your room only it's not like you know you can access every other room right so a token is going to be uh, something like that right it's basically the key with which you can access and probably like you know in you know few hotels right so probably in very advanced features wherein if you have a specific room yeah like you know kind of class of room uh, you may be provided with other access like say for example you may have access to a spa or probably you know to some other you know amenities right and uh, this same key that can actually help us to open the room probably can have access to uh, like, you know, open you know, certain other amenities as well, right. So, the uh, the like, you know, this particular uh, like, you know, you will have based on who you are and what kind of level of access you have, there are multiple ways in which, you know, additional pro, uh, like, you know, features may be provided, right. So, this is at a very high, uh, loose level, right. So, this is how the, uh, like, you know, you can think of a real world analogy, etc right. Uh, now, Coming into the aspect, right? So what 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 is required to you know get started? Let's say for example, I'm building an app, and I need to use Google login, right? So what I really need? Basically, I need to go and you know register myself, saying that I'm going to build a new uh, like you know application, and uh, Google will be providing me with uh, you know we have to register myself as a client, right? I need to provide my details, and then I'll be getting a client ID and client secret and uh, this is the like you know uh, basic uh, details which we have to register right now once we uh, like you know start to integrate it so we get a client id then we probably get a secret as well then we will have a small like you know sdk or some api calls through which you can probably authenticate right so the first uh, first very first time when we want to register uh, what essentially happens is that uh, we would have seen this very uh, common flow uh, wherein uh, when we try to register with google it will tell you that you know uh, it will actually take you to the actual google screen right so this is one very big difference right earlier you were actually typing your username and password in probably you know their own systems for example in register a new system and they say i want to check your email etc so you provide the actual username and password in the new application which we are not very sure of right so new application it may they may like you know misuse or information but nowadays with the OAuth flow what happens is that we are actually going to uh, there's a pop up the window that opens or you know and then you actually go to the Google and kind of you know authenticate and then provide view details it will tell you that you know these are use email id profile information you know, the basic information that they are going to get back right and uh, so we also have to provide a consent Right. And based on that only, you will be able to, but it's actually a one-time activity during registration, but beyond that time, every time when the authentication happens, it's going to be successful, right? So this is typically, you know, how the uh, whole authentication flow and, uh, you know, the setting up of authentication works in a OAuth system. Now we talked about, uh, you know, getting registered and probably Google uh they are actually allowing us the access right so essentially what happens is that we as we discussed earlier so once they authenticate that you are a valid user so they provide you a uh, tokens right so these tokens are uh, like you know what uh, they are actually a uh, json web tokens right uh, jwt token or jot so that's the name that is probably commonly used to refer to that particular token so that token uh like you know is uh, having some few information about the user right so that common JWT token has three elements to it there is a header and there is a claims and then there is a signature right so header briefly talks about what the token is about who provides the token etc and the claims is where it talks about the user information right so whatever the available user information like email id name you know and other basic details that will be there and signature is basically to say that you know this particular Token is provided by an authorized provider, right? So like Google or Facebook is doing it. And you will not be able to tweak this particular token, right? So the moment you touch this token and they say from, I am actually like, you know, it's the token for X user, you cannot just say it as, change it to, you know, somebody else and then use it, right? So the token is not going to provide like, you know, option because of the signature that is actually available over there, right? And the token will also talk about the scopes and claims, right? So what this particular user can do? whether he can actually you know have only read access or probably write access etc for example if you're going to register with gmail and uh, like there can be two different use cases you can actually use it only to you know use google uh, uh, like you know for login right so the other case could be uh, you are actually building an app wherein they would want to scan through all your emails and probably do some provide some features to you for example I want to scan your entire email and then probably uh, tell you what are the like most biggest mails that you have in your mailbox right so if they are building that kind of application at the time they would want to have access to your email right so for which you probably need a different level of access right so one could be just use a like a google login Uh, just use your uh, like you know use it for uh, the login purpose right the other could be building some applications on top of that right so depending on what applications are doing wanting to do with google right so your access also will change right and for each of them they are going to provide you with a consent screen wherein it says you know like this particular application is going to retrieve this information and uh, you know typically that's how the uh, actual flow as such you know works right now Uh, So what are the different ways, you know, common flows that we have here, right? So there are uh, the concept is called as grants, right? So or the flow typically, right? So the very first flow that we talked about, uh, we can call this as an authorization grant access code flow, right? So what happens is that uh, when you are trying to register with a new application, it will redirect you to probably a social login like Facebook or whatever it is, right? And then you provide the user details there. And once it is actually authenticated, Facebook would probably send you or Google will probably send you access code, right? So this is basically a code that says that, you know, this particular user is a valid user, right? Now, once we get this code, then we probably call this authorization server with this particular code. And then you will be able to get this access token with which you will be uh, like, you know, able to continue in the application right so this is one aspect of uh, the uh, flow like you know grants right in all specification there are many grants that is talked about and this is one specific grant right so the second part like you know another way we can discuss this is the implicit flow grant right wherein in the previous uh, flow what happens is that there is a two step first we get a token uh, sorry code and with that particular access code, you are going to get and fetch the token from the authorization server. But in this flow, what happens is that we just uh, like, you know, directly get the token, right? So it's not a two-step process. The uh, client itself would be able to do it for us, right? So this is the implicit grant flow. So between so between this uh, authorization grant access code versus implicit grant, so probably the most widely used is the uh, like, you know, uh, proper access code flow. Right, because it's more secure and for this particular reason you know the uh, implicit grant is not used that widely right so these are the first two different types of grants that we commonly see in you know uh, most of the applications these days so what are the other grants uh, that are actually uh, there in this OAuth right so the other part of other type of grant is the resource owner uh, password grant right? So this is typically like, you know, we are not going to use any uh, social login, right? So we are going to directly provide the username and password and uh, it's going to be registered, right? So this is a very native flow. For example, when you are building an application and you are maintaining the username and password, then you can probably use this particular flow, right? And uh, you will be able to uh, get yourself uh, uh, like registered and authorized, right? So this is the third type of brand. And the fourth one is basically the client credential grant and this is mostly used when you want to connect uh, uh, like you know get authenticated you are calling from one server to the other server we know both of these servers are like you know secure and we already know that they exist right so in that case you don't probably have to use a specific user based authentication but system to system authentication right so in this mode what happens is that we have a client id and client secret so those are like you know kind of shared get ourselves authenticated right so this is the so there are four different types of grants that we have here and each of them are for a specific purpose right so if you are going to choose between uh, like when you are actually building an application and you are saying you have what you probably have to understand which of this you know four different types of grant that we are actually using so each of these flows are for a specific purpose right so you need to understand Uh, what are the different patterns that are available and, you know, how do we go about implementing them, right? So, you should have a very clear idea around, uh, like, you know, how uh, the various flows are. So, what, for example, so, uh, like, you know, one flow could be uh, probably for, uh, like, a a specific use case, right? So, I talked about when to choose uh, the access code flow versus the implicit flow, right? So, the implicit grant probably is not very secure. But it could be like, you know, to avoid the two step process, you can have it as a single step, you like once you get uh, logged in, or when you once you sign in, you probably get the token immediately, right. So it kind of, you know, reduces the uh, effort that is required to do that implementation. But again, it has some specific challenges in terms of mad in the middle attacks, etc, right. So the resource owner again, it's going to be for a native client wherein you kind of maintain the authentication schemes, right? And typically in a server-to-server-to-server, you probably use this, uh, uh, like, uh, client credentials grant, wherein you don't have a specific username and password, right? So you have something uh, on a client ID and secret, which you probably use, right? So depending on the kind of use case that we have, you have to, you know, choose these grants accordingly and design your flows. Okay. So, one big uh, challenge that everybody had is that, so OAuth is essentially an authorization framework, right? It's not for authentication and uh, so there is a probably a confusion, right? So what happened is that different, uh, since it's a specification, right? So there is no specific guidelines on how to implement it, right? So everyone started kind of, you know, using the OAuth idea uh, for authentication as well, right? So, for example, what would Facebook would do is basically uh, like, you know, they will probably use it for authentication, right? So, they will be using the social sign-in and then they will be able to authenticate and then use that, right? So, they had their own way of implementing it and every, uh, like, you know, new uh, provider, right? Who wants to become the identity system, they had their own ways of doing it and they kind of mixed this idea of OAuth with also OAuth is more about authorization. But then, you know, they started using it for authentication as well, right? So that's when, uh, like, you know, every company or, you know, whoever is implementing, it, right? A big tech company, they have their own idea on how to do it, right? And that's when the idea of OpenID Connect came in, right? So essentially, if you think about what OpenID Connect is, it's about uh, the OAuth 2.0, right? So it's basically the authorization framework and also Facebook, right? So for example, I told you about Facebook kind of, you know, using the uh, OAuth flow but they were also using it for authentication, right? So that's when we get confused, right? So whether it's OAuth is basically an authorization or authentication, right? So Facebook was using their own Facebook connect and you know, it was not the standard thing, right? And uh, we also had the Saml that was actually there, right? So all these good parts, you know, all combined together is what OpenID connect is all uh, about, right? So between op- OAuth and uh, OpenID connect, right? So what happens? So Essentially, we talked about two types of tokens, right? So one is access token, and the other one is a refresh token. Uh, we'll probably discuss each of these token, what it means in detail uh, later. But what essentially is that in the earlier system? So in the access token itself, we will have some user-specific information that is coming in, and these details will be probably shared with the you know other applications, etc. So what Open ID Connect is talked about is you probably take the specification, but then say that you provide an additional token which is basically the ID token. So the ID token is going to be exclusively about a particular user who was actually uh, using this um, uh, register, right? So it has to have only the information about the user and uh, nothing other than that, right? Nothing other about, you know, what is, how it's going to access the, uh, like, you know, applica- application, etc. So those information are not going to be there, right? So the ID token is purely about that particular user information Uh, like when you have logged into probably google right so this google is going to tell you who who who, who is who who, and you know what level of access they have in their google right so it's not going to talk about how it's going to be like you know what are the other additional details won't be there so this is become now as a standard right so initially instead of two tokens now we're going to have three tokens all the time so any particular system that is going to implement open id connect are going to have three tokens the one could be the id token that is a new one that has actually brought uh, with the uh, open id uh, kind of a concept right and then we have the other tokens that are actually common right so this provided a way or a platform to say that you know open id connect will be the way in which you can get the authentication and uh, authorization also done together Right. So that's one big advantage. Again, not every provider is actually implementing the OpenID Connect. For example, Facebook may have their own way of implementing it, but from what we understand like, you know, Google and Microsoft widely uses the OpenID Connect and then you have an additional token uh, that is coming into place here, right? So typically what happens is that I talked about tokens, right? So once you get the authentication done, so the token is sent back to the browser or to your mobile app, and your mobile app will be able to fetch the token and store it either within uh, the browser or in a secure place within the mobile app and we will be able to use it right so this is a very high level idea right so it's not a very deep dive but it's a very high level what what is all about and OpenID connect and you know how all of these fits into the bigger picture now let's uh, briefly discuss about the tokens Right. So I, I told you about different types of tokens that we have. So in a typically in a Open ID Connect uh, implementation, you have the ID token. So as I told you earlier, ID token is about who the user who has now just now authenticated with the, you know third party system, who the author is, user is all about their e- profile pictures, your their email ID and some basic information. So this is widely available in a ID token, right? Uh, typically, what happens is that uh, you don't uh, necessarily send this ID token because it is very, uh, like, you know, talks about a specific, uh, like, you know, uh, user related information. And the next one you have is a access token, right? So the access token is about uh, what the user can actually access, right? So that particular information on claim information, right? So like, I get the hotel example. So whether he has access to a specific room or he can also do other things, right? So that is where they are access token is all about and access token is the one that is normally used uh, or sent to the, uh, the new application, right. So, for example, when you are registering in a new uh, uh, site, so what happens is that we have the ID token is about the user information, but the access token is all about which particular what kind of permissions or levels of permission that they will have in that particular application, right. So, it could be like you are an admin user, you probably have more privileges, but if you are just a normal user, you probably have different kind of privileges, right? So, so typically what happens is that if the same system is kind of, you know, being the identity provider, but also the authorization server, right? So that is a one common scenario wherein there are no, no two different systems, right? The Same system is going to be the ID provider and also the uh, like an authorization server. So, in those cases, probably what happens is that people instead of using two different tokens, they use a single token itself, right. So, uh, there are various ways in uh, people, which people do that, right, uh, uh, like, you know, some some of them they use the ID token and access, uh, like, you know, access token, but some of them they like, you know, they are actually okay to have those information in a single token and then kind of use it. But the most recommended way is to probably have uh, do different systems, uh, tokens as such, right. And the third token that we talked about is the refresh token. So the ID token and access tokens are generally like, you know, short-lived tokens for, you know, probably five to five minutes to, you know, 30 minutes or one hour, right? So depending on the use case. But the uh, refresh token is going to be there for a really long time. And the refresh token can be used to again get a new token before the expire, right? So your access token is going to be there for 10 minutes. Your refresh token will be there for probably one day or two day or a week or a year, right? So depending on how you want to, how often you want to log in. So, the refresh token can help to get a new access token without logging in again, right. So, that is where the refresh token uh, like, you know, comes into picture and typically uh, uh, like, you know, the refresh token is used in case of, you know, mobile apps where infrequent like, you know, login is not very like, you know, possible, right. So, that's where the, so what happens is that many systems identity providers, they kind of automatically, uh, like you know, based on your app usage, they will be able to refresh the token once in a while. Uh, like you know, even without we doing any uh, specific implementation, they will be able to, uh, like you know, refresh the token using the refresh mechanism, right? And this refresh token mechanism is not something very common in web browsers, like a you know, single page application, because you know it's not very secure to automatically request for a new token, right? So it's since it's all a third party client browser is what we have the refresh token concept is also not very uh, like you know common uh, you know in all the uh, scenarios right so one specific uh, uh, challenge that we have with these all these tokens is that once the token is provided it is not very easy to revoke access to these tokens right so because once you get the token so there is no it has a certain validity period for example it is like you know available for probably a week or whatever it is but till that time you still have the tokens available and there is no standard way in which the tokens can be like you know we can revoke the token whatever access right so we need to build our own mechanisms and uh, you know we have to probably uh, revoke these tokens and there is no standard way every system you know they have their own ways to uh, implement the same thing right and uh, so these are the with a very high level, what these tokens are all about. These tokens that I called as JWT token, right? Delegability token. So these are the primary mechanisms in which we kind of you know use it to interact with the other applications. So let's also discuss briefly about you know the other concepts that we have in OAuth, uh, which, are, which are essentially the scope and claims, right? So scope is essentially permission. Uh, like you know to wa- wa- what are the things that we can actually do right so the typical scopes that is defined in a OAuth uh, like you know uh, protocol or open id uh, profile email and you can also have some custom scope right so the scope is nothing but uh, like you would have seen the scope information very often whenever you try to do a google sign in or your facebook sign in and it would talk about the list of attributes from that uh, site site, site, that is going to be used right so it will talk about your profile information when you say profile information it could be a list of for example your profile picture your age your uh, probably your gender etc so that those kind of information or the other profile could be email in which case they are going to only use the email id that uh, like you know you have registered with gmail uh, google right so the scope is all about what level of information that we can actually get from the particular, you know, uh, system. And uh, that is basically the whole idea, right. Uh, so in addition to that, uh, you probably can have some custom uh, scope also that is uh, that can be defined and we can add those information, right. So essentially scope is all about permission, right. So you, whether what kind of level of information or access that you can actually uh, like get in terms of the user profile, right, it is not about what you can do with a specific uh, like you know new application but from an, uh, like from a, as an identity provider when you are actually accessing them what are what level of permission that particular user can be provided with so those are the ones that are defined in the OAuth, uh, like you know scope right so the next one is claims right so claim is nothing but what is there inside that particular uh, scope right so for example you may have a key value uh, like you know a pair uh, which has that more information about what kind of permissions that we talk, have? For example, it could be talking uh, talking about the uh, like you know For example, the user will have only read permission, or whether the user will have write permissions, right? So these kind of different uh, access level permissions. So those information also can be there in a typical claim, right? So the claim will have this key value pair of information. For example, username could be so and so, email ID is this and uh, what type of access that they have they have read access write access or delete access or whatnot right for example the admin access so those kind of information will be available as a client right now whenever we want to implement this uh, like you know any of the token mechanism if in case if you want to add some additional information for example you are now logging into this your uh, the user is getting created at the time we can uh, like you know to, add an identity to them right so for example the groups groups and will be something or role will be very common so based on the particular role information you could probably add it as part of your token right so for example this user is uh, like you know a bank customer where the other person is basically a bank manager right so those kind of information are generally captured as part of your profile and using that you probably can add the required permission to this token so for example you such a bank manager he probably have higher access, right. So, in the token, you will have all those information uh, like an you know, added to it. So, it is all uh, like a you know, token is signed, but that is how it actually works, right. So, depend, So with this particular information itself, you will be able to better control the permissions and access level uh, that is required, right. So, scopes and claims are the other concept that is uh, widely used in a, a typical OAuth implementation, right. So we discussed extensively about tokens, right? But tokens are not the you know only way in which we could you know kind of get this implementation done. Uh, so, uh, like you know, cookies like you have heard about the you know famous cookies that is you know inf- displayed in you know a lot of different browsers. But session cookies, so that's one uh, pra- pra- own way in which the, uh, you know, authentication mechanism are actually kind of implemented, right? So earlier before OAuth became a thing, uh, what happened is that the session cookie is the most widely used ways to, you know, kind of do the uh, post authentication. What happens essentially is that uh, uh, we have a uh, session uh, wherein the user logged in, the logged in user details will be like, you know, registered. And then there is a session cookie that will be created and sent back to the uh, user. Right, so uh, as part of every request, uh, subsequent request, the particular session cookie will be sent, and we will check in the database whether the uh, like you know cookies are actually available, and then based on that authenticate the user for the subsequent request. Right, so the problem with the session cookie is that it can be used only in you know web browsers, so that's one thing. The second thing is like you know it is not you know we cannot actually scale it that easily because we have to like you know kind of maintain that whole information for example we have millions of users all the millions of users state information we need to maintain and uh, so that is going to be challenging right so in terms of scaling and the whole infrastructure that is required right so those things uh, those are the reasons why uh, cookies uh, beyond a certain point of time you know they were not able to really uh, expand so this these are some of the uh, like you know disadvantages that you have right so and then if you want to Uh, either you have to have the session information in a database or it should be in a in-memory database uh, system, in in memory, uh, like in in memory, right? So, and then you will have millions of users coming in and you need to transfer the state or the session information across systems, etc., right? So it was quite complex to implement, right? And then there were a few, uh, like no challenges that we had in terms of this uh, cross site request forgery attacks, right? So what happens is that like when you are logged into that particular uh, like you know uh, for example internet banking site uh, like the cookie information is something that is always uh, like available so any request that you send in the cookie information if they are going to be in the same domain right so it's going to be sent and the csrf attacks can like you know mimic your site and then kind of you know try to uh, like you know uh, uh, like you know intro and then kind of trying to steal the cookie information right so this is one Uh, problem that is uh, commonly there in a uh, like not typical cookie implementation however there are options to you know uh, avoid these kind of attacks but that is one thing that you need to be aware on cookie right now between two keys so the other one that we now talked about widely is the token state so tokens are stateless and you can actually scale them well and we as a backend system we don't need to really manage you know the particular whole tokens uh, like you know the way how we did with cookie Right. So it's basically stateless and it can be scalable and it's actually decoupled and has a very good performance. Right. And uh, so cookies are generally stored in the browser cookies with the uh, tokens. So normally what happens is that they either get stored in a local or the session storage that is within the browser. It's getting stored. Right. But one problem that we have in that approach is that we have this cross site script attacks that are very common. I mean, the input validation is not done. Right. So some JavaScript can get thrown in and you will have uh, this problem, right? So this is one challenge with using the tokens uh, concept, right? So it's going to be uh, like, you know, we have to take care of this, right? So the one way to do is we have to sanitize your input validation in your forms and etc. So that somebody doesn't write some crazy JavaScript that is going to hack your application, right? So the other ways we can probably handle it better are in terms of, you know, uh, having the token, but then storing it as a cookie within the browser so that we could avoid the XSS attack right so and then we can probably hand the csr of attack we can ha- like you know use it by making the browser uh, like you no know, request to use only http right so those are different ways in which we can do but essentially this is all it av- about right so cookie versus uh, like you know the uh, tokens how they uh, differ and you know how they can be implemented right so it's at a very high level literally Like you know, we have a very standard way, Uh, we don't understand probably how, what a session cookie was, right. So that's why I want to briefly touch on this topic. So just to clarify, right, so cookie is not uh, a, was standard, but I was just giving, touching on that aspect, just to give some perspective, right. So in terms of, you know, between cookie, how it was done earlier, versus, you know, the tokens, I just wanted to kind of highlight this information, right. So now, just to close back, right, uh, we have talked about OAuth and OAuth OpenID Connect, right? So there are common challenges that we have. So some of them could be, you know, the token hijacking, where I talked about, you know, this token information can be kind of, you know, fetched either from the cookie or from the browser cookie or from the local storage, such a, right? So we have to have handled like, you know, various, uh, like, you know, there are some options available through which you will be able to uh, like you know handle those scenarios right also the leakage of your client secret so that are those are some uh like you know issues that we have and uh, the other one could be like you know whenever we are di- redirecting after the uh like you know authentication you probably can't authenticate some different uh, urls right so you want to whitelist those information uh, the URA information right so these are some common you know worth for whatever it is right so it's not uh, like you know it's not fully uh, developed and uh, because it's a specification so there are some few areas which is not very clearly uh, like you know uh, has some information right so now having said that so now we have talked about all this information right so we have the token we have everything now available right so what happens next right so once these tokens are now available now you let's say for example we want to access this new application right so and then for every request uh, for this new application that we are actually accessing. So these token, tokens will be sent as part of the request, right? And then what this particular system, the new system that we have, so basically the resource server that I called up talked about, which, is, which are essentially the APIs, so they will receive the token and then they will kind of decrypt the token to see whether the token is expired and whether the token has the, whether the user has the required permissions, etc., right? So I talked about something like claims, right? So, they will be able to check the claims information and see whether the user is an admin or, you know, whether it's a normal user or whatever it is, right. They will be able to validate those information. They can also do the signature validation. So, this is something that is very commonly done. So, what happens is that when the token is generated, they use a private key with which they will be able to, uh, like, you know, uh, sign that particular token. Now, when we want to validate the token, we can actually get the public key uh, from the identity provider and we will be able to validate that particular token, right? Now, once the uh, token signature, we are seeing the token is all good, and then we are able to do the signature validation, then we can really confirm that this user is a uh, proper user. He has got properly authenticated and he has the required tokens, right? And he has the expiry time is also, like, you know, well within the limits and we are good to go, right? So for every request that is actually coming in, the tokens will be sent Either the mobile browser web browser or the mobile app they're going to send this particular information all the time and in case if the token is expired this particular uh, like an you know, authorization uh, the resource server is going to deny those requests so in the store tokens are valid then it's probably going to return you the information uh, like you know from the backend system but if the tokens are not good then they are going to reject that particular uh, like you know information right so this is at a uh, like you know a very high level view on Uh, how the uh, the tokens are being used right so it's it's very important that we don't kind of you know uh, miss out on this uh, validation aspect of it because the tokens is like uh, you know your atm password right of course it's going to be short-lived but i'm uh, like you know at at a sense like you know if they have the token and in some applications they may have the token for a really long time so in those cases they are having the uh, all the information that is required right so so this is how the uh, tokens are getting validated at the uh, resource server or essentially at the APIs, right. So yeah. So we are almost at the end of uh, the uh, like whole understanding about uh, OAuth and OpenID Connect, right. So just to give a small recap, so we initially started talking about the authentication and authorization, the journey through it from the basic authentication towards SAML, then we had OAuth, OAuth2 and OpenID Connect, right? So I think we have come a very long way from trying to register in every other, uh, you know, website that we would want to use to kind of, you know, using the OAuth as an authorization mechanism and Open ID Connect as a way of, you know, authenticating that details, right? So over a period of time, you know, there have been a time when we were trying to enter the actual credentials of you know google or facebook in some sites to kind of you know now doing it more securely right now there is still a lot of data privacy related issues are there but from a security posture i think we are okay reasonably okay we have now everybody understands you know the way how we can log in via these you know different systems right so in that way you know it has actually helped and um, the uh, other aspect of it is like you know the concept that i didn't touch about much is the federation So federation is basically a way in which you know we can have multiple systems uh, that we can actually connect for example your social login from facebook google uh, like you know github or microsoft or anything could be connected along with your enterprise systems right you may have your own user information so all these user information like you know together can be like, you know, integrated as part of your authentication system. So based on how we have set up the configuration, you know, it can redirect it to different systems for enterprise customers with uh, vis a the consumers, right? So the federation is another concept that is uh, like that, right? Now, if you look at any of the, uh, so the popular auth providers or like sorry, the identity providers are or o- 0 Okta, right? And we have Facebook uh, so, uh, we, that is uh, available and we also have the firebase auth and we also have in aws we have cognito right if you go and look at it every system has their own uh, like you know way small base uh, in which they kind of implement it for example in terms of uh, like the id token versus access token etc so they have their own quirks in which you know each of them have implemented it there is no one uh, the, the only thing is like you know this was so more of a specification so it's not uh, actual you know standard the as such you know in the implementation details are always missing and uh, so you can see minor differences or some differences in the way how each of them are using the id token versus an access token and what they mean by scope claim etc right so there is a bit of a you know uh, like misalignment in, in some ways but but this is widely you know how you know things uh, work at this point of time so i hope you found this information useful so it's not a very deep dive but a very giving you a very high level view uh, so that you know you get the perspective on you know what are the things that you may need to consider while you know deciding on you know implementing something with what or if you have already implemented what whether you really understand all these concepts is something that would probably help us to you know this i hope this helped to you know go and look into specific directions in which you probably have better understanding on the way how OAuth and OpenID Connect works. Okay. Thank you.